You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. going through a hard time, when you're going through a hard time, when you're about ready to be thrown in the fiery furnace, and when people look at you, they don't see you, they see Jesus. That's what we want. I pray you have that kind of confidence in God. I pray you have that kind of confidence to know He is able to deliver you from any circumstance. He is able to deliver you. And I pray that if you have the confidence that if He does not deliver you, He will give you the strength and the power to endure. God is able to deliver us from any circumstance, but He might not choose to at that moment. In today's message, Pastor Dave encourages us to show the world Jesus in the midst of our trials. And even if God doesn't deliver us, let's show people that we trust Him to watch over us and give us His strength to endure for His glory. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 16 as he continues his message, What Must I Do to Be Saved? Instead of crying like a little girl, like I would, instead of moaning and groaning, instead of calling out to God, destroy my enemies, Lord, take them away from me, or complaining to God, why did this happen to me in the midst of these circumstances? What's going on? No, they prayed loudly and sung hymns. They found themselves, and they prayed loudly, and they sung hymns, and everybody was hearing them. Here in the darkest dungeon, their backs stinging and bloodied by a beating with rods. Their feet placed in stocks. Get this, they can't move. They can't lie down. They're probably hurting like they've never hurt before in their lives. They can't even console one another. They're there. They're probably stuck together. They're probably chained. The first thing they want to do is pray and have a worship session. The first thing they do is they they pray and want to have a worship time, a time of worship to God. (laughs) Hughes says this about that. This was more dramatic than the earthquake that was going to follow. Singing songs from the bowels of a miserable, vermin-infested pit? Yes, because the realities of these men's heart exceeded their miserable circumstances. They were most secure in Christ, and this brought glory to God. At midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. Again, we see these participles that are used in the Greek language, and the words are actually means... They were continually praying, continually singing. In other words, they wouldn't shut up. They wouldn't stop singing and praising God. The cold fact here is they had no reason to expect a miracle. There was absolutely no reason to expect a miracle. I mean, after all, God had delivered Peter. We read about that, right? But Stephen and James were martyred. They knew about that. They had no right. They they didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what was going to happen next, but anyhow, they praised God. They sang praises to God in the midst of their circumstances. Why? Why could they do this? How could they do this? Well, first of all, I think that they actually believed that they were more Christ prisoners than they were prisoners of Rome. And because of this, secondly, because they were Christ's disciples and they were completely devoted to him, 
They passionately believed that God could deliver them anytime and any place and from anything. They believed that with all their heart. Thirdly, they believed God's word. They believed God's word. I wonder if they remember the psalmist in Psalm 46, beginning in 1 to 3. I wonder if they remember this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake and it's swelling. Wow. Wow. There's a great song out right now. I'm not really sure who sings it. I think it's Casting Crowns, but forgive me if I'm wrong. It's called, I Will Praise You in the Storm. One of the verses says, I will lift my head because you are who you are. Wow. In the midst of the storm, can you lift your head because you know God is who he is? Are you securing your relationship with God to be able to lift your head in the midst of the deepest, darkest time of your life? And I know some of your lives, and you're going through some pretty, pretty tough times right now. Can you lift your head to the God most high and say, though you may slay me, I will still serve you? That's what's happening here. These guys have no idea what's going to happen. This is very similar to what happened to three buddies in Daniel 3, verse 16 and 19. You know the three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were told that they had to bow down every time they heard a certain thing. They had to worship this idol, this image. Somebody ratted on them. Nebuchadnezzar was surly mad. He was going to throw them into the fiery furnace. He's going to pick them up and throw them right into the fiery furnace. And if you look at verses 16 and 19 in chapter 3 of Daniel, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image that you have set up. They were secure. They believed that God could rescue them at any time and deliver them out of that hand. They were confident that if they went into the fiery furnace, two things were going to happen. Either God was going to rescue them, or they would see God face to face. And you know what they called that? A win-win. It was a win-win. You're going to rescue me? Praise God. You know the rest of the story. They got thrown into the furnace. All of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar looks in and goes, hold a phone. Didn't we throw three guys in there? Well, yeah, king. Well, then how come I see fourth? And wait, the fourth looks like the son of God. Hmm. When you're going through a hard time, when you're going through a hard time, when you're about ready to be thrown in the fiery furnace, and when people look at you, they don't see you, they see Jesus. That's what we want. I pray you have that kind of confidence in God. I pray you have that kind of confidence to know that he is able to deliver you from any circumstance. He is able to deliver you. And I pray that if you have the confidence that if he does not deliver you, he will give you the strength and the power to endure. Notice the scripture says that all the prisoners were listening to them. Well, they did have a captive audience. That was a bad pun, I'm sorry. But it's important. 
All these prisoners are listening to these guys sing. All these prisoners are listening to them praise God and sing. All these prisoners were hearing the word of God through the songs and the hymns that they were singing. And these prisoners were being comforted also. These prisoners were hearing the word of God and God was comforting their heart. They're there. I'm sure that they were amazed that Paul and Silas were doing this as well. Like, what are these guys doing? They knew and they believed that what Paul and Silas said was true. They knew Paul and Silas were the real deal. When you talk to somebody about Christ, do they believe that you believe it? It's important. It's really important when you're talking to somebody about Christ. These prisoners believed that Paul and Silas were the real deal. They believed it. Okay, look what happens next. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaking, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. Wow. This was no ordinary prayer and worship service. The Lord answered in a mighty way. He sent this tremendous earthquake. Their singing literally brought the house down. It literally brought down the house. An earthquake. An earthquake happens. The jail falls completely apart. The chains are broken and doors fly open. You talk about spirit-filled worship. Wow. Paul and Silas lift their voices to the Lord in prayer and praise that at midnight in this dingy, dark dungeon, the Lord responds in a mighty, mighty way. Wow. Imagine now, it's midnight and you can't sleep. You might be having bad dreams. You might be having anxious moments. Your thoughts might be towards that bill that hasn't been paid yet. Your thoughts might be towards what you have to accomplish the next day. You may be thinking about that prodigal son or prodigal daughter that keeps getting further and further and further away from the Lord. You might be in pain. It may be physical pain. It may be emotional pain. It may be some spiritual pain. In times like these, we need to cry out to God in song. We need to cry out to the living God in praise and worship. Interesting phrase in Job 35, verse 10. Elihu, one of Job's buddies, is telling Job this, that even if God doesn't relieve his burden, God gives songs in the night. God gives us songs in the night. This is very similar to what the psalmist said in Psalm 42, verse 8. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to God of my life. Or in Psalm 77, verse 6, it says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart, and my spirit makes diligent search. This is what Spurgeon said about this. Anyone can sing in the day, he says. It's easy to sing when you can read the notes by daylight. But he is a skillful singer who can sing when there is not a ray of light in which to read. He continues, God may not remove our burdens, but he always gives us strength to bear them and a song to sing while we're doing it. I'm sure you never have bad days. I have a few. Did you ever have a bad day and you're just really feeling pretty down and things aren't just going the way you think they should go? You might be doing some questioning. You have to go somewhere and you get in the car and you turn the radio on and it's on your favorite Christian radio station and the song played is just a song you need. 
Just the song you need that tells you all about God's love. It could even be the song that you were singing before you got in the car. It could even be something. Coincidence, huh? Let's move on. Acts 16, 27 and 28. The keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing this prison door open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. This is remarkable. This is remarkable to me. Roman law dictated that if any prisoner escaped, the guard responsible for watching that prisoner was to be given the same punishment. So if this jailer wants to kill himself, that means there were people in prison who were awaiting capital punishment. They were, had the death sentence. Here we see the true heart of Paul. Remember we talked about the heart transplant? Paul is now a long, long way from Damascus Road. His heart transplant is complete. The old man, Paul, would have watched the jailer take his life because the jailer was his enemy. The old man, Paul, would have watched there and probably even reveled had this man killed himself in a revenge-type thing, Paul would feel good. But now the new man, Paul, had compassion on the jailer. He had a new heart, and he wanted to see this man saved. He wanted to see this man come to the Lord. He wanted to talk to him about Jesus. What's astonishing here is the answer that they give the jailer. We are all here. All? This means that none of the prisoners escaped after the earthquake. Not one. Now, you're in prison for who knows what. Some of you may be even waiting the death penalty. There's an earthquake. Walls fall down, chains fall off your feet and your legs, and you don't escape? Either they were too frightened to escape, or the Lord was doing a mighty work in their hearts. The Lord was doing a mighty work in their hearts. We are not told about anyone else received salvation that night. But we can surmise. We can think that maybe some of them did because of what happened. Verse 2930. Then he, the jailer, called for a light, and he ran in, and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wow. How many of you ever out witnessing would just love to have somebody ask you that question? This question is the cry of a lost world. It's the cry of a lost world, and we need to be ready to give an answer. We need to be ready to give that reason of hope that lies within us. We need to be ready, just like in our two opening scenarios. The world is dying in front of us. They are dying by their droves, and they are going to a place called hell, and it does exist. Don't let anybody fool you. It exists. Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody in the Bible. The world is dying in front of us. What must I do to be saved, the jailer says. What this man saw in Paul and Silas, what this man heard them say, led him to ask this question. He wanted to be saved. One of the most flattering things that was ever said to me and my wife after Jesus came into our lives and completely changed our marriage, completely made it into the godly marriage that we always had dreamed of. One of the most incredible things that were ever, ever said to us was by her cousin. He was visiting one day. He and his wife, they were visiting, and they were sitting there talking to us. 
And they looked at us and said, something happened to you two. Something has changed in you two. I see a love in your eyes that I've never seen before. I want what you have. What happened? We were able to tell them about Jesus. We were able to tell them about Jesus. The jailer sees this. He says, these guys are the real deal. They're praying when they should be crying. They're praying and calling out to God. I want this. I want to be saved. In Webster's 1828 dictionary, the word saved means to be preserved from evil. It means to be free from injury or destruction, to be spared. And the Greek word that's used here is S-O-D-E-Z-O, sodezo. It means to deliver, to protect, to heal, preserve, and to make whole. This man knew he needed God's protection. He knew that he needed to get his relationship right with God. He knew he needed to be made whole. People see that when you're going through a trial and you're praising God. People see that in you and they are drawn to that. They are drawn to that because it's the real deal. Scripture is full of verses where God speaks about his saving power. Full of verses. In fact, there's over 100 verses in the Bible that mention the word saved, and 90% of them have to do with salvation. But I found one in Isaiah 45, verse 22, that spoke to me. It spoke to my heart. Here the Lord says to the prophet in Isaiah 45, 22, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Wow, what a powerful verse. But in this we see a simple Powerful statement that shows God's plan for salvation. The statement says, and it shows the simplicity of salvation. Look, look to God. A commentator wrote this. One can read many books on theology which expound all kinds of things in an attempt to show how man can reach God. But these theories are far from the truth. The Holy Spirit needs exactly four letters, two of them the same, to tell us to L-O-O-K. That's all. It's the simplest basic thing any person can do, yet it's the most difficult to do in daily living. Simplicity. The statement shows the focus of salvation. Where do we look? To God. Where do we look? We look to God. We don't look to ourselves. We don't look within ourselves or anything else that man might do. Look to me, his word says, which means don't look to the church. The church cannot save you. The church will not save you and cannot save you. Do not look to man, because man will always disappoint. Man will always disillusion you. Don't look at the outward form and the ceremony, the pomp and circumstance. Look to God. Because when you look to God and you look at his throne, in your heart you see the risen Lord Jesus Christ. The statement shows the love behind salvation. God plead with man, look to me. God is pleading with a lost generation to look to my son Jesus Christ and be saved. He's pleading from heaven. Look to him. He's the way to salvation. Look to Jesus Christ. God is crying out from the heavens, look to my son and be saved. It gives us an assurance of salvation. You will be saved. If I do this, I will be saved. And it shows the extent of God's salvation. All the ends of the earth, not just a select few, all. Quote in your hearts, 
John 3.16, as I read it, For God so loved who? The world, that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's a great, there's so many great stories in the Word of God, but there's a great story in Numbers 21. The nation of Israel is being struck by a plague of snakes. And these snakes are poisonous, and they're going around, they're biting people. And as they bite people, people are dying. God tells Moses, make this thing of brass. Make this brass serpent. And after you've made this brass serpent, it's called Nehushtan in Hebrew. After you make this brass serpent, put it on a pole and lift it high above the camp and tell all the Israelites, if you look to the pole, if you look to the brass serpent after you get bit by a snake, you will not die. Many of them said, this is stupid. They were bit by a snake, they died. Others went, looked at the, and were healed. Now, why did I tell you that? Jesus mentions that very thing in John 14 and 15. Jesus mentions this very verse, and look what he says. He says, that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's the same concept, God showing the way of salvation, but now, instead of a brass serpent being lifted up, Christ has been lifted up. Christ has been lifted up on a cross. He's been lifted up on a cross and died, and there he is. And whoever looks upon him, look to God and be saved. Whoever looks upon him and accepts that sacrifice will be saved. I say, look to me and be saved, for I am God. You know, you might be willing to do a hundred things for earned salvation, but God says to do one thing, look to him. Are you looking God to show you the way to salvation today. The way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said it in John 14, 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. He declares it boldly in John 14, 6. The jailer falls before these guys and says, what must I do to be saved? Please help me. Tell me what I need to know. The guy in the car is dying. He's bleeding profusely, and he's muttering the words, what do I do? I don't know God. What do I do? The guy in the trench beside you in the military shooting is dying and says, I don't know God. What do I do? Paul gives us the answer right here in verse 30. Paul gives the answer loud and clear right here in verse 30. Paul declares to this jailer, this is the way to salvation. Look at 31. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Wow. Notice what Paul does not say. Please. Notice what Paul does not say. He doesn't say, join this church and tithe. He doesn't say, buy some indulgences. He doesn't say, get involved with a food program and feed the poor. He doesn't say, oh yeah, and go by, knock on door to door and witness Jesus Christ to people and you will be saved. He doesn't say, clean up your act and come to the Lord. He doesn't say any of that. And he certainly does not say, be circumcised and obey the law of Moses. He doesn't say that. You are assured. You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? 
His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition. Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.